So we step into the silence of reflection that comes from a, a statement like that as we sing it. God, I thank you for voices. And I thank you for harmony. The chord that was left hanging in the room when we finished singing that phrase is a chord of harmony. And harmony only comes from diversity. How ironic is that? That the beautiful tone and the beautiful harmony must have diversity. God, what an awesome designer you are. What an amazing creator. I pray, God, we could get a glimpse of how you look at this world, how you see all things work together. Oh, we have such a myopic view so many times, God. Is it possible? Could this world really become strangely dim? Can we really look into your face? You know that our worlds are busy, God. Oh, so much activity, so many things to do. In the midst of all of that, we come into this room this day, pausing to be in your presence in a special way and to hear your word maybe differently than we've ever heard it before and to be impacted from being there. I want to release the children through grade four as we continue to pray. And God, as we hear the footprints and the footsteps, Lord, we recognize that these kids run out of here expectantly, ready to go to those who have prepared for them the lessons that they'll learn. And the expectancy, Lord, that, that children have can remind us of a time when we were expectant and can cause us to move into a desire for that same expectancy now. You created each heart in this room, Lord. Enable us to be ready now to hear your word touch our heart. And we will praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you glad you came this morning? Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Well, here we are. Halfway through January already, it seems, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but it almost seems like Christmas was 100 years ago. How does that happen? Pastor Doug's been challenging us the last couple of weeks to reflect on our past year and, and to review that and in so doing then begin to look forward. And, 
And as I've done that, it's caused me to, to think about what would it mean for me to be able to make the most of my life as I move into 2012, and I thought it might be fun for us to look at that together. So how can we make the most of our lives as we move into 2012? And I don't know if you've seen this ad on television or not, but I saw this ad and I thought, you know, that's me. Not the one on the la- on the right. No, the, you know. But isn't that us in so many ways, really, when you think about it? And I don't know if you've seen this commercial or not, but it's for T-Mobile. And, and the idea here is that if you get a smartphone, you can let all those things go away and replace all that stuff with a smartphone, okay? That's great. It's nice we have smartphones. I remember when phones were dumb and people... Never mind. Okay, so... All right, so when we look at this picture, it just, to me, it it gives me all sorts of different analogies, and eh, maybe it's just the way I'm wired, and I'm hoping that, that, that I can help make this clear for you, because you see, the truth is, is that each one of us is like this. Each one of us is has all of these things that we carry. And, and now, I'm not necessarily talking about the material things that you see there. I'm talking about the fact that we each have emotional stuff we carry, spiritual stuff we carry. It's stuff that we can't see, but nonetheless, it's burdensome. And we carry it around. And, and the truth is, like Michelle said, when we come in for worship, we come and we turn the corner and we turn into worship. But how many times when we come in here are we carrying all that with us as we turn the corner and come into this room? And just as, just as this commercial indicates that you can put all those things aside and replace it with a smartphone... Scripture tells us that because of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to take all of those things we carry and put those aside and instead do things in the power of Jesus Christ, grace. Wow. I would imagine if if our friend here were able to let go of all that thing, uh, all those things, his arms would go like this, you know? You ever do that? And... That's what what God longs to happen in each one of our lives, emotionally and spiritually. And we're going to look at that today. And and I have another slide for you here. Wow, what a contrast. From a high technology picture to, to a picture of a woman. And you see her, she's a woman at a well. Yeah, we're going to talk about the woman at the well today. And sometimes we look at that picture, we look at the picture of technology, and we we think to ourselves, is there really anything in this dusty old book that really could touch and impact my life here today? Because, boy, my life is so busy and so harried that the, the thought of sitting by a well talking to somebody is something that could never happen in my life. But I'm here to tell you that this book has everything you need to be able to make the most out of your life. And the most out of 2012. But for us to do that, we need to see that Jesus makes it possible for us to embrace the grace of God. Jesus makes it possible for us to embrace the grace of God. And we're going to look at this account of the woman at the well in John chapter 4, 
to see how that's true. John chapter 4. And many of you have probably looked at this account before and thought about it and heard messages on it. But I believe today we are going to have an encounter with God that allows us to see that we can do 2012 in an amazing way. John chapter 4. I'm going to start with verse 7. We're going to read through verse 12. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you you have nothing to draw with, and the well is very deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? The first point we see here, if we're going to realize and recognize that Jesus makes it possible for us to embrace God, the first thing we need to see is that we need to recognize the source of grace. We need to recognize the source of grace. And we see here that the Samaritan woman, at the end, she's going to end up embracing this grace, but right now she doesn't recognize the source. She doesn't see that here. And it's understandable for us as we look at her situation We're not told a lot about her. We'll learn a little bit more about her in a few minutes. But the truth is that people aren't all that different today than they were then. Oh, we have different situations. We have different technology and things like that. But listen, people aren't all that different. People still hurt people. People still love. People still marry. People still have kids. People still, all right, there's life that needs to happen. Water needs to be fetched. Food needs to be grown. Relationships need to be formed. And in the busyness of our lives, it can get really hard to begin to recognize God and recognize the source of grace. Do you ever expect to bump into Jesus? Is that a silly question? Do you ever in your day expect that you might bump into Jesus? He's alive, you know. Now, she had no idea she was going to bump into Jesus. She lived in a part of the world where the odds of a Jewish man talking to her were like non-existent. In a Jewish mind, she was filthy. Filthy dirty. If a Jewish man even talked to her, he would be dirty. Much less take a cup out of her hand and drink any water she had given to him. He'd be ceremonially unclean and would not be able to worship. So for a Jewish man to be talking, that was just utterly crazy. I wonder what kind of life she had up till this point. A hard life, having to go every day to draw water at a well. 
wonder how many things happened in her life. How many, how many things did she end up carrying around emotionally? Because each one of us do. What were the things that she carried around? She had five husbands. And the man she was with right now wasn't her husband. Well, I don't know about you, but I think that would be really hard to carry around. But she carried it around every day to the point where it seems that she picked a specific time to go to the well when no one would be there, the sixth hour. It was probably a time in the day when, when she went to the well, nobody else would be there. She'd be able to just be alone, wouldn't have to face the distraction of trying to talk to people. When that load gets real heavy, the last thing you want is people around, right? You want to be alone. You don't want to be talking to people. You don't want to, how are you today? Fine. Right? So she's headed to the well, and I put a wishing well up here. A lot of times when we think of wells, we think of wishing wells. You know? Uh, You've probably all been to a wishing well. I, I've never been to a point where I've had to actually drop a bucket and pull water out in order to get water. I have been to wishing wells, though, where I've thrown in a penny because I'm frugal. <laughs> Saw if there were any quarters within reach because I needed to make change. But I wonder, as she turned the corner and walked toward the well, and she saw a man sitting there, was she discouraged? Ah, now I'm going to have to talk to somebody. It was the last thing she wanted that day. But she gets a little closer, and she sees it's a Jew. Oh, even better. Now he's going to tell me how worthless I am, how disgusting I am, how vile I am, how, how much scum I am how I don't even deserve to be breathing. Like I need anybody to help me feel that way. But water sustains life, and I have to have water. So she goes to the well. And instead of this man saying something to her about how, how disgusting or vile she is, he does the totally unthinkable. He asks her, for water. Whoa. Wait. See, we, we don't catch how that rocked her world. What are you doing asking me for that? If we're going to learn to embrace the grace of God, we need to recognize the source of grace. Throughout our, throughout our account today, we're going to see three different questions where she was like, but how? And the first one's here. But how? How can God really talk to me? How can God really talk to me? You know, how can you offer me a drink? And I think in that we see the truth that, that if we're not really understanding who God is, we can miss recognizing him. Because you see, I've written there for you that your definition of God can keep you from recognizing him. Your definition of God can keep you from recognizing him. Now, as she approached that well, she had a pretty clear idea in her mind of exactly how, I'm suspecting, how that Jewish man was going to respond to her. And when he didn't respond in that way, it took her by surprise. 
So the question is, how do you expect God to speak to you? I'd like to ask you to do something. It's something that perhaps I've asked you to do before, but it's impactful. Could I, could I ask you to close your eyes? And could I ask you to imagine that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are standing around you? It's just you and them in the room, and they're talking about you, and you're eavesdropping on their conversation. What do you hear them saying? Could I suggest that what you hear them saying has a lot to do with what you've defined God to be? You can open your eyes. Larry Crabb brought that to me the first time. What, what you heard there is an indication of how you've defined God and how you've defined that he sees you and how you've defined that he would talk to you. How many of you heard God say something like, well, he's okay, but? Because the truth, most of us believe that God loves us in spite of something. That, that God reaches into our lives in spite of something. That if we could make ourselves a little bit better, God would respond to us better. That, that if we could make ourselves a little bit more attractive, that God would respond more favorably toward us. Could I suggest that, that while that may be true in your mind, that it's not what we find in Scripture? See, God the Father says things like this. Carrie, God the Father says, I created you. I knit you together in your mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully. I know every moment of your life. I am familiar with all your ways made you, created you. You're my workmanship. Poetry. That's what God the Father says. Things like that. God the Son, he recognizes that Terry's not sitting by Carrie because it's communion. So the Son comes to Terry. He says, Terry, I died for you. I came into the world and I took on flesh. And I hung on a cross and I died so that you could be forgiven of the things that have separated you from me. And because I know that you've accepted that, you're my joint heir, my brother. And the Holy Spirit says something like, Ken, you're my home. I indwell you. I live in you. I am there to give you all the power you need to live the life that God has designed for you to live. Here's some power for you. Wow. See, that's what God's saying about it. What's your definition of God? Because understand, John tells us that the Word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. Jesus came into the world to be the visual expression of the thoughts of God, the visible expression of the thoughts of God. That's why Jesus came. And when we look at John, we have to read it through that verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us so that we could know Him, so that we could fully expect to bump into Him. Do you recognize the source of grace? 
do you think you have to earn it? Or do you realize it's a gift? Because listen, if we're going to make the most out of 2012, we have to recognize that Jesus makes it possible for us to embrace the grace of God. First, we have to recognize the source. Second, we have to desire, we have to desire grace above our present situation. Desire grace above our present situation. And we're going to read it in verse 13, John 4, 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give, I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Give me, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus said to her, Whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again. But I have water that you could drink that would make it possible for you to never be thirsty again. Listen, you need to desire grace above your present situation. Sometimes it seems to me when I read about Jesus talking to people, it's like he's having three conversations with them at the same time. Okay, because he's talking about water, and then all of a sudden he brings a husband into the... What's, what's that all about? We're, we're talking about water, and then we're talking about husbands, and what? What's that? You ever think about that? Just me. Okay, well, I'm all right with that. A little awkward. All right, I'll get over Jesus came to be the visible expression of the thoughts of God. As such, Jesus is talking about things quite differently than what we're used to hearing. He's in a completely different realm than we are. He is coming to make known on earth the heavenly. All right, he tells Nicodemus that in chapter 3. He says, I've come to speak of you of, 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 of spiritual things, and you can't even understand the earthly things but I have so much more that I long to tell you. And so we have this encounter with this woman where, where she's talking about one thing, but he's talking about something much, much deeper. And I love that. Because he says to her, he says, I have water so that you will never be thirsty again. And she says, give me. Give me, give me, give me. Okay? Is that ever the way that you approach Jesus? All right? Oh, Jesus, I fell down. Give me. <laughs> Jesus, this hurts. Give me a better job. Jesus, this hurts. Give me a better relationship with my spouse. Jesus, this. Give me, give me, give me. Okay? Is that ever something that we fall into? It is. Yeah, sure. In a way, it's okay. Because, listen, he offers, right? He says... If you knew me, you would ask, and I would give you living water. He, he offered that so that she would say, give it to me. So that's, a, that's appropriate. But listen, we have to understand that in order to take that water, that living water that he has, in order for us to apply that for our lives, we have to let go of something. 
Okay? And that's why that picture in the beginning is so powerful. Because look, we're carrying all this stuff, whatever it is for us, emotionally. We're carrying all that stuff around. And Jesus says, I have something better for you. Okay. Give me. <laughs> He's like... <laughs> I mean, and he smiles because he knows us. He made us, right? He smiles. He goes, I don't think you quite got the picture yet. Okay? So I'm going to offer again. I knew I, yeah, give me. And he says, go get your husband. Because she didn't understand. So he said, go get your husband. Where do you go to draw water? Where do you go to draw water? See, she needed water to survive every day. But you've been created by God to be in a relationship with God. Okay? And nothing will satisfy that inside of you except God. And whatever you try to jam in there other than him is where you're going for water. You understand that? Okay? Now for her, listen, each one of us longs to be loved for exactly who we are. I've said that before. I believe it's true with all my heart. I long to be loved for exactly who I am. And Karen tries. God love her, Karen tries. Okay? But God does. Okay? Could I suggest that possibly the Samaritan woman so desperately longed to be loved for who she was that she kept going to different men all the time. And when she found out she couldn't be loved for who she was, she tried to be somebody else so that somebody would love her. Please, somebody love me. And how many times do we try to recreate ourselves into whoever we think it is we need to be in order for us to attract the love that people have and are holding out from us? Jesus says, I have better. The way that you've chosen to solve the situation you're in, I have better. You don't have to solve the situation the way that you think it needs to be solved. You can let that go and take my grace. I love that. Don't you? But listen, if you're going to embrace the grace of God, if you're going to take that grace on, you have to let that other stuff go. You have to believe. And now here's the but how question she has. For this one, her question is, but how? Can God really help my situation? And listen, how many times do we find ourselves in that? That thought. Can God really help my situation? Because, quite frankly, I designed the solution... And I just need him to join in. Right? But God has a different solution. And when he presents that solution to us, a lot of times we like to think of that as plan B. Forgive as you've forgiven? But, but you need to understand that this relationship, 
that, that I have that's not working real well requires that the other person forgives, not me. I? Me forgive? Yeah. Well, we'll try that one a little later, maybe. Because this is working out really good for me here. Right? And that's one of a thousand examples that I could use. But listen, if you're going to embrace the grace of God, you've got to sacrifice what it is you're holding on to that keeps you from that. And the thing is, the stuff that you're holding on to is painful. Your solution to your situation is painful if it's not in line with God's solution for your situation. So if we're going to make the most out of this 2012 got to embrace the grace of God. It's made possible through Jesus. One, we have to recognize God. We have to know who he is and recognize him when he's speaking to us. Two, we have to desire his grace above our solution. And the third, we have to change the object of our worship. Do you see that? It's great. It's right here in the text. Let's look again, John chapter 4. This time we'll start in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, Ooh, That's pretty good. You knew all that about me. You know what's interesting? If I could just put a a comma there. None of that came as an accusation. When he brought that to the Samaritan woman, he brought it to her so she could recognize where she was going to draw water. He brought it to her so she could know what it was that she had to let go of so that she could grab hold of him. And if you ask Jesus, he'll show you that in your life as well. Sir, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do not know, or what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For listen, they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And she said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, it's me. (laughs) Here I am. Isn't that incredible? She bumped into Jesus. There's a big part of me that's jealous. How about you? Have you bumped into Jesus? And if you do, will it change the object of your worship? Because the truth is, most of us are worshiping the stuff we're carrying. Most of us are worshiping that because that's what we have our world centered around, are all of those things, and we're focused on those things. And that's kind of what worship is. Worship at its root is worship, uh, uh, ascribing worth to. So what you make valuable, that's what you worship. What is the object of your worship? And basically what she's asking here is, but how? How can I change the way that I'm worshiping now? How, how am I supposed to worship? What does that look like? Because I thought it was on this mountain. The Jewish people say it's on this mountain. And so which mountain is it on? And, and where are we supposed to go? And, and what, what Jesus basically says to her is that, listen, the places where you've been going to worship, the, you're not worshiping there. 
All you're doing is acknowledging the fact that God exists, and that's not worship. Do you get that? Acknowledging that God exists is not worship. Okay? It's something much, much different. So if we're going to worship in spirit and truth, we need to learn what that means because, listen, those are the worshipers that God seeks. I don't know about you, but I want to be one of the worshipers that God seeks. Do you? I don't know about you, but I want to be one of the worshipers that God seeks. Do do you? I love hearing that. God loves hearing that. Understand that for you to worship in spirit and truth, God is spirit. God is spirit, our verse tells us. We're not. We're flesh. God's spirit. Somehow, some way, he took on flesh in the person of Jesus and came to reveal himself to us. But listen, if we're going to worship in spirit, our spirit has to be alive. And sin causes our spirit to be dead. Somehow, some way. You, you know, in the garden, Adam and Eve were created, and then they were created in this relationship with God that was amazing, that we can't even begin to understand, as in their untested creature holiness, they were able to have communion with God because their spirit was alive, and they were able to walk with Him in spirit and truth. And Jesus, and God, I'm sorry, said, don't eat the fruit from that tree because if you eat it, you will surely die. And the moment that they took the fruit, the moment that they gave in to selfish desires and selfish control and decided they wanted to carry it all themselves, the moment that that happened, they died spiritually. Their spirit died. And a dead spirit cannot worship God. Do you see that? And so in the encounter with Nicodemus, Jesus says, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You must be born again. Must worship in spirit and truth. Must be born again. Do you see that? A little later, Jesus said, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Those three things need to happen. The Son of Man must be lifted up. The flesh, the Word that became flesh, must sacrifice His life. And then you must experience a rebirth of your spirit because your spirit is dead because of sin. Ephesians 2. And you hath he quickened, made back alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Have you been regenerated by the Holy Spirit? Have you been reborn? Is your spirit alive? It's the same question as asking, if you were to die today, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? Because listen, coming to church on Sunday isn't it. Acknowledging God isn't it. The demons do that. You must be born again. That's an old term. And sometimes we think, "Eh, I don't like that term. I do. I love it. Because I am born again. My spirit is alive. And listen, if your spirit is alive, you know it. 
Six people in the room are confident of it. <laughs> Boy, I wish we didn't live in the Midwest where we sat on our hands, except during football. Listen, man, your spirit's alive. You have the ability to worship in spirit and truth. And to a large degree, that's what the worship was about this morning, is to think what would it be like if we turned the corner and the throne room of God was up here? Would it impact our worship at all? Whoo! Wow! I understand sin gets in the way of that. And hard as we try, we still bring this stuff in. But listen... If we're going to make the most of 2012, we need to learn how to embrace the grace of God. We've got to learn how to live within His power. We have to, we have to drop all this stuff and, and take hold of that grace that He is offering, but you have to recognize Him when He comes to see you. You have to know who He is. You have to recognize Him. And then you have to desire that grace above your present situation. You have to make a sacrifice. You have to let go of that stuff that's hurting you in order to take on the grace that Jesus is offering you. And you have to change the object of your worship because you must worship in spirit and truth. Regenerated by the spirit. You don't have to bring that stuff in this room with you. You don't have to keep going back there to draw water. I don't know about you. I'm trying to hide it, but it excites me. Does it excite you? It's hard. Day in, day out, stuff comes against you. It's a hard world we live in. It is. And it is much easier to focus on the stuff than it is to focus on the one who is longing to release you from that. Let's make the most of 2012. Let's embrace the grace of God. Because what you worship makes a huge statement about who you are. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for the truth of this scripture. I thank you for the way that you have come, Lord God. Jesus, thank you for coming and taking on flesh and making it possible for us to receive the grace of God. Each one of us, Lord, has, has stuff that we carry that you long to take away from us. And Lord, the truth is, you know what it is. Just like you knew what it was for the Samaritan woman, you know what it is for us. And if we'll listen, you'll show us what it is that we need to let go. And then the amazing gentleman that you are, you will help us to release that. And you will help us to sacrifice it. But we need to decide to do that. Lord, as you look at us in this room, as we prepare to come and take communion, my prayer, Lord, is that you'd, you'd allow us to examine ourselves to see what it is we need to let go of so that we can embrace your grace. That you would allow us to see God in an amazing way what that is. And Lord, if any single person in this room has not been regenerated, reborn by the Holy Spirit, that they would turn to you, that they would acknowledge their sin, 
that they would realize that you had come in the flesh to offer yourself for forgiveness of sin, and they would trust you as their Savior, and they would ask for that rebirth. We focus now on your table, Lord, of communion, realizing that you called us to use this as an opportunity to remember. So that's what we do. We remember. And we release whatever it is that keeps us from you. So as the men pass the bread, friends, I'd ask that you just hold that bread and consider consider that Jesus came to be the visible expression of the thoughts of God. He came to reveal God to the world. And think about that flesh. And think about the fact that it, it allows for us to know the will of God. So men, if you'd pass the bread, please.